the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, College Lacrosse fans? You are watching episode 152 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the new media poll that's out and why I think they got a couple of things wrong. And then I'm going to put out my own top 10. I'll give you my own top 10. We're going to talk about a couple of D3 games that went into overtime. Stevenson and Gettysburg both needed overtime to pull out wins. That was big. And I also want to talk about face-off guys. I want to talk about the top five or so face-off guys in the country and who I think is the most valuable to their team. And is right now the hands-down best face-off man in the country. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe. Just hit that like button like an idiot. Subscribe. Hit the notification bell. Share the crap out of this with your friends. And then, as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, get swag, hats, t-shirts, all that crap. Let's get right into this. The new poll, the new Inside Lacrosse Media poll, they have Maryland sitting at number one. And even though I think Maryland is deserving to a degree of that number one ranking in the sense that they are that quality, it's not like Towson. Years ago when Towson, I think in 2019, ended up getting named number one for like a week because they upset Loyola, Penn State, I think, or somebody lost to like Cornell, and all of a sudden we have Towson at number one for a week. That was probably one of the worst number one ranked teams in a long, long time. And not because they weren't a quality team, they just were not the number one team. They were simply the last undefeated team. And I think that's a little bit of what we're seeing here right now. Not that Mar- Maryland is dessert. Like I said, Maryland's right there at Maryland. I have, I would have them at number two, but as like, my reasoning is pretty sound. If we look at Maryland's two best wins, their two best wins come against number eight Rutgers. Rutgers is a really good team. I think Rutgers is probably a little bit overranked considering when you look at what their best wins are because their best wins are all against unranked teams and the only ranked team they've played in Maryland, they've lost twice to. But, you know, Rutgers is a quality team. Maryland beat them twice. I think the you could make the argument that Ohio State is probably the only other team that in a normal season where they're playing their non-conference schedule would end up being ranked uh, because right now they're 500 in conference. I, I feel like they would have picked up some non-conference wins, and I think that would put Ohio State within that 20 to 15 range somewhere. So you can make the argument Maryland has ranked wins, uh, wins against ranked teams in Ohio State and Rutgers in terms of the quality. Notre Dame. Notre Dame has a win against number nine Syracuse, and then they have a win against then number one Duke, and now Duke has dropped, I think, to number four in the polls, and I'll talk about why I think that's wrong also. But if you look at the their, their two wins, number nine Syracuse or number four Duke, those are two better wins than what um, – Maryland has under their belt. Now you could start throwing in a little bit deeper into their schedules and everything like that, but I wouldn't. You know, no, the 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 blemish here on Notre Dame is that loss to Virginia. But right now, Virginia's ranked number three. There, in essence, Notre Dame is being penalized for playing a much tougher schedule because Maryland hasn't had to play Virginia, Syracuse. Duke they haven't had that they haven't had to run that gauntlet like that and then you have your non-conference games outside of it where you know Maryland's conference games have been similar to like the lower level conference games against like the Penn States and the Michigans are kind of what Notre Dame was dealing with in their non-conference wins I think I think that Michigan and and Penn State are a little bit better than the Cleveland States or whoever it was that Notre Dame beat coming into this um uh, coming into this this week where they get ranked and everything like that. But but moral of the story. Moral of the story. There's no doubt. Notre Dame's two best wins are far more impressive than Maryland's 
two best wins. And in a weird season where you end up having to, or Maryland's not playing non-conference, so you don't know how they hold up, I think the committee ends up just saying, hey, Notre Maryland's the undefeated team. Maryland's going to be undefeated at the end of the year. Let's say that Notre Dame goes out and they knock off UNC next, and then they beat, you know, let's say Virginia again if they play them again or Duke again. I mean, then I think they're the undisputed number one anyway. But what if they have two or three losses, but they have four or five quality wins? Is the committee still going to hold them to task because of those two losses, because their schedule is just brutal compared to Maryland? This is the most cupcake schedule Maryland has ever played in terms of only having to play in their conference. The conference is down. Hopkins, this may be one of the worst Hopkins teams we've seen in over a decade, or maybe ever, you know, in in 20 years it could be. Um, Michigan is okay. They're about what they usually are, which is not very good, but, you know, you have to worry about them depending on the day. Ohio State's kind of okay. Penn State's way down. I mean, this is is not – the Big Ten from last year or the season before when Penn State was right up there, when Hopkins was, you know, finishing close to 500, but they could beat you on any given day. This is not that conference. So that's where I think they got it wrong. I think that in the end, Notre Dame should probably be forgiven for that loss to Virginia, and that should just kind of be wiped off their schedule. And it really should at the top here now because Maryland's not playing the same the same strength of schedule. I think it should just be who's got the better wins and that team that team ends up winning out. So that's the first place I think they got it wrong. I think that Notre Dame should be number 1. I think that Maryland should be number 2. But am I upset that Maryland's number 1 and Notre Dame's number 2? I don't give a crap. You know, they're not, neither of them are Syracuse, so I don't care. I just think that that was a little bit unfair because when you look at the body of work so far, I think Notre Dame's is a little bit better. Then where I think they also got it wrong. I think if you look at the number three spot and the number four spot, yes, Duke suffered their first lost loss of the year to Notre Dame, a team that the now number three team beat. So it's like Duke loses to Notre Dame. They drop from number one to number four. Virginia beats North Carolina, a team that both Duke and Virginia beat, and now Virginia frog humps Duke somehow. I, that one didn't make sense to me because Virginia beat Notre Dame, Duke lost to Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Both of them beat UNC, and then Virginia lost to Syracuse, and Duke beat Syracuse. So if you're trying to really play the semantics, it's like, does what have you done for me lately matter that much when you only have one loss? A team like Duke only has one loss. I think what should have happened, it, I think a lot of people agree with me on this, even though the, the committee obviously didn't in total. I think it should have been uh, Notre Dame, Maryland, Duke, Virginia. I think that I think three and four got flipped and I think one and two got flipped. And I think that if they flip those, then I'm like, that is absolutely the correct top four. Now, where they end up losing me a little bit more is when we start getting into let me get to the um, into the poll here is where they start getting into five. I think there's a couple of teams here that are ranked a little bit too highly. I think once you get into uh, five North Carolina at five, that is an absolute no brainer. So they have Maryland, Notre Dame, Virginia, Duke, North Carolina. I, like I said, I'd flip one and two, and I'd flip three and four. But North Carolina at five, absolutely, I agree with that. They got two losses. They're, they're coming off two straight losses, but I still think everything leading up to that, they are probably the fifth-ranked team until Syracuse can prove uh, who's better in that matchup. And that's where we're really going to see things get topsy-turvy in the ACC. Not necessarily. If North Carolina wins, then they probably hang right where they are. Syracuse wins. Now everything's all up crazy. Where I think they also have teams ranked too highly. 
I think Denver, way too high at number six. You think about who has Denver beat. Um, Denver, they have a win over Utah. The two quali- the two most quality teams they played, Duke, two-goal loss, North Carolina, they got waxed. Then they beat Air Force, Marquette, Providence, St. John's, all unranked teams. Then they beat Georgetown, ranked team. I think they're right now ranked pretty well, like what, in the 12th range or something like that. Uh, then wins over Providence, Marquette, Villanova again, and then they're going to play Georgetown again. So it's like, yeah, they've played four ranked teams. They got waxed by one of them, beat by another, and then Georgetown, who's played the weakest schedule of anyone in the top 20 so far, those are the only wins they got. So I think Denver is too high where they have them sitting. And then beyond that, Lehigh, I think they got right. Lehigh has two quality wins. I think Rutgers is too high. Because once again, we're looking at Rutgers, no wins against ranked opponents. And even if you called Ohio State a ranked opponent, there is a ranked win for them. And then two losses to the only real, truly ranked team that they played. So, I mean, Rutgers at number eight, I don't get that one. That's kind of a media darling one, I think. So what my top 10, and then Syracuse and Army coming in at nine and 10, I think they got right. Georgetown at 11 is right. Ohio State, I keep saying Ohio State's not ranked, but Ohio State is ranked. They are, in fact, ranked number 12, so I'm an idiot. So as we're talking about Maryland and their quality wins, there is quality wins over Rutgers and Ohio State for Maryland there. And maybe that's maybe that's their argument. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But, you know, if you look at Syracuse's resume, they've got a win over number three, Virginia. They've got losses to number two, Duke, and number two, Notre Dame, or number uh, three, four Duke and number two Notre Dame, and then they've lost to Army as well. But then, you know, because the America East is kind of picked up here, then you look at Syracuse schedule, they got wins against number 18, 19, and 20 because they played three America East teams. So that's that's looking good for Syracuse. But if I were to fill out my top 10 after totally screwing the pooch and not calling Ohio State ranked when in fact they were, totally forgot that. My top 10 looks like this. I have Notre Dame at number one. On, on account of the two wins. They beat number one Duke. They beat Syracuse. Those are big wins. They only lose to Virginia. You know, so be it. Then I have Maryland at number two. They've got their wins over Rutgers and Ohio State. Then I have Duke at three, Virginia at four, Carolina at five, Lehigh at six. And then because Lehigh, they've got wins over what? Loyola and over Army undefeated they got one of the best faceoff guys in the country that's a case where i think the fact that you're undefeated does get you you know in, in that top seven and then even if i don't think your resume overall maybe is good i have syracuse at seven denver at eight army at nine rutgers at ten so that's how i'm lining these guys up i may have changed that a little bit uh, because I w- when I put this together, I was for some boneheaded reason thinking Ohio State had fallen out of the top 20. But, you know, that's what I got. And and the argument here for Syracuse, like I said, is that they beat Virginia badly, and then they lose to Notre Dame, they lose to Army, they lose to Duke. Those are all ranked teams, and then they beat the ranked teams on that bottom half. So, you know, Syracuse, once again, out of all of the teams in the top 10, if you're looking at who had the toughest schedule, it's Cuse because their, their losses come to Army and then two teams ranked higher than them. So it's like Syracuse, almost all of the games they've played so far have been against ranked teams outside of, I think, two games now that the America East teams are ranked. So that's my argument for what I think the top 10 should be. And uh, you can take it or leave it. Or you can call me names. You can yell at me. All that good stuff. Face off, guys. I want to talk about, and this isn't going to be a big segment or anything like that, but I do want to talk about some face-off guys. Mainly, I'm going to go through the guys who are tops 
in the country in terms of faceoff percentage, and then I'm going to make an argument for why I think that Petey fucking Lasala is the number one faceoff guy in the country right now. It is true that Mike Sisselberger of Lehigh and his 78% win percentage is crazy. That is a fact. He's doing really well for Lehigh right now. He's one of the reasons Lehigh is 6-0. It is also true. There are others in the same area of win percentage as Petey. Petey is actually the fifth-ranked guy, I think, overall. Uh, we have Tommy Burke of Vermont is higher than Petey with 70%. Jake Naso of Duke is higher than Petey with 67.3%. Kyle Gallagher of Notre Dame is higher than Petey with 63, 66.3%. However, and this is a big however, Petey LaSala is coming in at 65.9% and is my number one face-off guy in the country because he is not a FOGO. All those other guys are pretty much... Fogos. You're going to face off. You're going to try to get your win. More often than not, you're going to get your win, and then you're going to get off the field. Petey Lasala, while he does generally face off and then eventually gets off the field, the thing he does better than any face off guy in the country is he faces off and then he gets points. He's a FOGP instead of a Fogo because he gets points off the draws here. If we look at Jake Naso, yeah, Naso is winning 67.3% of his draws. He's got two goals, two assists. We look at Gallagher. He's got one goal and three helpers to go along with his 66.3% faceoff percentage. Sisselberger, now he's up at 70% up there, and he's got three goals. We look at Petey Lasala, and we compare him to these other guys. He's winning 65.9% of his draws. And he scored six goals and five assists while not turning the ball over at a greater rate than any of these guys. His turnover ratio in, in, uh, compared to his wins is right in line with everybody else. The difference with Petey LaSala is he wins the same number of draws as everybody else generally, but he's put up a bunch more points. Six goals, five assists. Hell of a job by Petey LaSala. That's why I think he is technically right now the number one face-off guy in the country. At least in terms of what he's doing for his team, he's the most valuable. You can make the argument Lehigh with their offensive efficiency being pretty decent, Sisselberger winning 70%, boom, that should be your guy. But 70%, three goals, or do you take 65.9% and 11 points? I take the 11 points. I take the I take what Petey LaSala brings to the table where if you don't lose the draw and get back on defense and get settled immediately, he's going to sting you. Let me get a drink of water. Next thing we're going to talk about, Gettysburg and Stevenson. Gettysburg and Stevenson, they both pull OT wins out of their butts here. Number 12, Gettysburg, and number 10, Ursinus. They hate each other, and they have a huge history. In 2019, Ursinus was 7-0 with wins over ranked teams leading into their battle with Gettysburg, and the Bullets beat them in that, that eighth meeting, uh, and then granted Ursinus would get revenge in the conference tournament in 2019, in the conference finals nonetheless, in 2019, and then the same thing was about to go down in 2020, Ursinus comes in at 7-0, and they're supposed to play Gettysburg, I think Gettysburg at that point was also undefeated, and then COVID happens and the season gets canceled completely. This year, Jack, now this year, both teams have only played one or two games up to this point, so it wasn't the same scenario as the previous years, but still a big game. Ursinus, very highly ranked, number 10 in the country compared to Gettysburg, Gettysburg at number 12. This year, Jack Fletcher, he scores the game winner with just eight ticks left in the OT period for Gettysburg. Fletcher finishes the game with three goals, and Nolan Sullivan made 11 saves versus the 20 shots that he faced. A solid outing in the win 
uh, for Sullivan and a hell of a job by Fletcher scoring the game winner, his third goal of the game in OT. Another OT thriller was number 13, Stevenson. They needed overtime to defeat Eastern. Stevenson, they missed a handful of opportunities over the course of the first half that probably would have seen them up by three, maybe even four goals had they handled their business. They didn't handle their business. They end up going into the half down by, I think it was a goal. Eastern held that lead late, like just to under the, under about 10 minutes or so, just under 10 minutes in the fourth quarter was when Stevenson finally get things gets things tied back up again. And we end up going into overtime. Now, this is a painful one. This is a painful overtime loss because Eastern committed their third faceoff violation of the second half in OT, and then Jacob Tatum scores a man-up goal assisted by Connor Nelson that put the nail in the coffin, and Stevenson ekes out the win. Shane Ford put up three goals for Stevenson in the win as well. So that's just a tough way to win. You have your third faceoff violation on of the half, the second half, on the opening faceoff of overtime. You just give the ball to your opponent with a man up, and they score the goal to sting you. So that is a tough one. Now, granted, the better team won here. Uh, Stevenson should have probably won this game by anywhere from three to five goals. They play a little bit down, makes it interesting. Hell of an outing, though, for Eastern to take advantage of opportunities where Stevenson didn't and to keep this one close. Now, now we are going to dive in to the games that are upcoming for this week. We have the big one here in the ACC right off the bat. Uh, tomorrow night. We have uh, Virginia hosting Duke. 9-2 and two Virginia hosting 10-1 and one Duke. We've got Colin Schellenberger coming into this game for Virginia at 19-28 and 28 for 47 points with a 38% shooting percentage. We got Matt Moore at 20-24. and 24. We've got Peyton Cormier at 32-8. and eight. Charlie Bertrand, who is kind of taking a back seat. His, his playing time has diminished over the last few games. He's at 16-6. and six. More importantly, we got even Ian Laviano coming off a huge game. He is now... 15 and four on the season, but seeing Laviano have the game that he's coming off of, that is going to be a really big deal. He tore it up against UNC, getting his attack spot back after playing mid for a few games. So I like the gelling between Moore and Laviano on attack. We've got Cormier down there. They've got Schellenberger shuffling it in and out. So I like Virginia's flow right now. On Duke's side of this, Sowers at 22 and 30. 43% shooting percentage, and Joe Robertson. Duke is shooting the ball incredibly well. They're, they're top scorers. Sowers, 22 goals, shooting the ball at 43%. Joe Robertson, 29 goals, shooting the ball at 42%. Brendan O'Neill, 30 goals, shooting the ball at 38%. Nakai Montgomery has improved his shooting a great deal over this season. 11 goals, 37%. So Duke, very efficient on offense. Guys are getting looks, and guys are finishing looks. So that's going to bode well for them. I think in the end that this is going to be a shootout. Like we talked about before, Duke has one of the best face-off men, Naso, in the country playing against who I think overall the best face-off man in the country, P.D. LaSala. I think the, the difference in this game is going to be, so far, Naso has held up when facing the best teams in the country and the best competition that he has to play he has held up in terms of his faceoff percentage, even in the loss against. Even in the loss against, uh, I'm trying to close this stupid ad here. Even in the loss again, oh crap! Why will it not let me close this? So I can't see the bottom game that he just played. Either way, moral of the story: I think that Naso has held up well. 
Um, let me get in here. Maybe I was clicked on the wrong guy. Yeah, I was. That was my problem. All right. Even against Notre Dame, Naso won 73% of the faceoff uh, draws, face t- taking on the bet two, who I thought at the time was the best duo in the country. So if Naso can handle his business like he has been, and he wins a larger percentage than PD LaSala, and he can he can come back in and he can win 60 to 70 percent, then that's going to even things up at the faceoff dot, even if LaSala scores a goal or two. And then I think Duke ends up taking this game. For Duke, it's going to come down to possessions. I think that overall, Virginia is at their best when they're when they're dodging, when Matt Moore's dodging, when Matt Moore's feeding. I think that their flow in terms of just their overall motion offense is huge when you have a guy like Laviano playing well off ball. But once again, as it, as it comes down into that, Duke's strength is off ball play. So I feel like whatever flow Virginia has gotten off of that, that lineup change, maybe Duke can neutralize it. Either way, it's going to be one hell of a game. And I think that face-off dot battle is going to be huge. I think that Duke has a slight edge in cage with Adler, although Road has been very serviceable. I just overall, I think Duke bounce, bounces back and ends up winning this game. Let's say Duke by and uh, you know a goal because that's just how all of these have been going. But that's going to be a hell of a game Thursday night. All of us are going to be sure to tune into that. The next biggest game I think of the weekend, because once again the ACC is just brutal. We have Syracuse. Uh, hosting North Carolina at the Carrier Dome. Stephen Rafis has been playing like one of the best attackmen in the country. He's sitting at 20 goals, 18 helpers, and then Chris Gray, everybody's favorite, not everybody's favorite, but anyone who loves crazy offense, who loves the flash and the panache and all that crap, 35 and 25 in terms of his point total for Chris Gray. So that is going to be a battle in the Dome. Now, how do these guys match up? I think Colin Cregan Cage is going to be a huge factor for UNC. Goalies at times come into the Dome and play incredible. Krieg has been playing incredible without the help of the Carrier Dome, but I think that if Krieg can come in and if he can save 55 to 60% of, of, of the shots he faces, I think it is going to be very difficult for Syracuse to beat these guys. Now, the other factor in where Syracuse can kind of get back, their, their keeper, Porter, is, is incredible himself. So, I mean, he can kind of neutralize Krieg, I think, a little bit. But I think if both of them have solid games, if both of them are hanging in the 55 to 60% area, the key is going to be the faceoff dot for Syracuse. If Syracuse gets the ball, they're going to score goals on this North Carolina defense. If North Carolina gets the ball, they are going to be able to score goals on this Syracuse defense. So the key really in this game, probably more important than it's been so far at all this year, especially in a must-win game for Syracuse, is the faceoff dot. Can FOP and Varello do damage against North Carolina's faceoff unit? They have to. They 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 don't have to just win at the dot. I think they have to win by a margin at the dot. If they can win sixty to seventy percent of those draws, I think this is a ball game. I think both goalies are going to play well and see the ball well in the dome. I think both offenses are going to score points. I think what it's going to come down to is who has more possessions in this game. And I think that Syracuse needs to have more possessions by you know a five ten margin or so. The other kicker here is Syracuse clears the ball traditionally pretty well, been shaky at times, and North Carolina's ride is brutal. So it's good, you know, you're just dealing with one of those things where between faceoffs and clears, that possession battle right there is going to decide this game, I feel. In the end, I'm going with Cuse. I think that North Carolina's dropped two. I think Cuse is their backs are kind of against the wall. They do not want to drop to five and four. They they're if they don't add that last game of the year, they need one more win 
one more win out of these last couple of games to be able to even be eligible to make the tournament. So they do not want to have to rely on beating Virginia or Notre Dame in those last two games of the year. This is the game, I think, right here that Syracuse needs to win. I pick Syracuse to win this one in overtime by a goal. I think it's going to be a hell of a game, but I think that Syracuse is going to handle the 10-man ride well, and I think that Syracuse is going to win the battle at the faceoff dot. If Syracuse loses this game, it's going to end up being because North Carolina is going to win the possession battle either in the riding game or in the faceoff game. And for North Carolina, splitting 50-50 in the faceoff game is a win because the ride game will probably turn the tides for them a little bit more. All right, what's up next? Rutgers hosting John Hopkins. Rutgers at 6-2, and two, Hopkins at 2-6. and six. Not looking too good for Hopkins here. Rutgers is going to win this game. The way that Hopkins is looking now, they're not getting better. Rutgers has gotten a little bit better. Rutgers has a bunch of wins under their belt. A lot of confidence. Charlotte Beatties is tearing it up. Mullins is, I believe, starting to get healthy again. So he's going to continue to get better and tear it up. Connor Kirst, Knobloch, all those guys for Rutgers are too much. And then Kirsten Cage for Rutgers is going to be the big factor. Joey Epstein has not fared well here over the course of the last few games. Uh, four shots in their last game against Ohio State. Only three shots against Michigan. He ended up getting three assists against Michigan, though. So I don't know. I'm not feeling good about Hopkins and their chances, which it's a damn shame, but you know, Rutgers is a quality team. So Rutgers is going to win in this one and then just really continue to own that next tier in the Big Ten. Uh, Big America East game. Vermont at 5-3, hosting U Albany at 6-3. and three. So that's going to be a big one. Uh, two of the teams, I'm, I will say, that Syracuse beat. Albany kind of trending here now. They're playing a little bit better. They're starting to find an identity after Nanakoke. Vermont, one of the best offenses in the country, mixed with face-off guys here. So that's going to be the key in this one, is Vermont traditionally is going to win the, the lion's share of the face-offs in this game. In their last meeting, Vermont won this game 12-14. to And I, I like Vermont to win this one again, especially at home. Uh, Burke is a face-off monster. So I think Burke wins the face-offs. They win the possession battle. Albany does not have the defense that they would need to try to you know offset that. So I think it's still going to be a close game. I think we're going to look at another one, two, three goal game uh, that Vermont is going to win, but I think that the possession disparity is going to end up being what kills Albany. Now, Donnelly and Cage for Albany is solid, so he can make up for a little bit of that. So if he comes up with 18 saves, I think if Albany wins this game, you're going to look at that box score, and it's going to be because Donnelly put up 18 saves in this one. But that's going to be the mark Donnelly's going to need. 17, 18 saves to win this game. If he doesn't get that and Burke nukes them at the faceoff dot, this game is Vermont's and Albany doesn't have a, you know, I, I say they don't have a shot. They'll still have a shot, but most likely it's going Vermont's way. I, I mentioned this one only because it's important because Stony Brook wants to keep winning. Stony Brook's taken on Binghamton. They host Binghamton University this weekend. Stony Brook will handle Binghamton. Uh, have they met yet? Let's see. Dylan Palinetti's playing excellent lacrosse, though, by the way, for Stony Brook. They have not met yet this season, so I expect that Stony Brook will handle their business. Now, Binghamton hasn't done – they haven't played too bad. They're sitting at 3-3. Three and three. They've got their wins against New Jersey Tech, two wins against them, and then they've got a win against UMBC. They upset UMBC. I don't think they're going to upset Stony Brook. I bet you Stony Brook wins by five, eight goals or so. Binghamton's not terrible, um, but they're not very good either, and Stony Brook is a very solid lacrosse team. Big one in the SoCon, we've got Richmond taking on Jacksonville. Richmond at 4-4. Four and four. Don't let that fool you. 
takes on Jacksonville sitting at six and four. Richmond's schedule has been absolutely brutal. Not that Jacksonville's is bad. Jacksonville's played a pretty good non-conference schedule. So this is going to be a battle-tested Jacksonville team. Alas, I still think Richmond's a better team overall. I think Richmond has the better defense overall. Uh, they've done a good job between the boxes and then offensively, Richmond can hang with most teams. I think that Jacksonville, while good all around, I think that they're not quite as good in all of the areas that Richmond is. So I do like Richmond in this one against Jacksonville, and that's a big, big conference game here for these guys. Let's see. Uh, they have not faced each other yet either. So no history there in this one this year. Another big one. This is the probably the final biggest game in the Big East outside of uh, getting into the tournament or whatnot, but we have uh, nine and two Denver taking on eight and one Georgetown. Georgetown's only loss on the year is to Denver. Now Denver beat them in their first meeting, and they beat them fairly handily. Let's see here, they beat Georgetown thirteen seven in their first meeting. I'm going to caveat that with the fact that Georgetown has a history of losing to Denver in the regular season only to turn around and beat them later in the season or in the Big East tournament. So that that happens quite a bit for Georgetown. Georgetown's starting to get a little bit healthier. They've got Caraway back. So I think that this may be a different outcome, albeit I still like Denver in this game because Jackson Morrill's found his stride playing for Denver. He's got 24 goals and 24 assists. So he's truly playing like the quarterback Denver hoped that he would end up being with a 45% shooting percentage as well. Ethan Walker's right back up to his normal form, 23 and 16. So I do like Denver in this one still, but I don't think you're going to see the margin we saw in the last one. I think we're going to see a one, two, three goal game somewhere in there, but I think Denver's going to pick the win up on the road. All right, next up, UMass and Towson. I mentioned this one just because UMass and Towson. Towson is impressed. They're sitting at five and six. Once I, I keep saying over and over again, last year Towson was on their way to 0-9, 0-10. So this turnaround for them is huge. And UMass kind of now sitting at three and three. Originally UMass coming into the year, everybody thought they were going to be a, a, a just a the an absolute guarantee to win their conference and that has not been the case right now leading the CAA is Delaware at four and one Hofstra at three and one in conference Drexel at three and two and UMass at three and two so Towson could really just kind of wreck UMass's chances of winning this conference at least in the regular season by upsetting them here and they have not played yet this year so we have nothing to go on on that front. But uh, I, in the end, I like UMass. I think UMass will rebound and win this game, but I am rooting for Towson. For some reason, I've just been a big, big fan of Towson this year, and I, I dig the underdog, and I dig that they've been fighting tooth and nail to get the wins that they've ended up winning, and they've won some decent games. Another big one here in the Patriot, Loyola is hosting Navy. Loyola at five and four, Navy at three and two. Navy already beat Loyola. No, Loyola beat Navy 14 to 10 earlier in the year on the road. So now they're turning around and they're going to play Navy at home. Now, just because they beat Navy the last time around does not mean that they're going to do that again. Navy is a quality club and could absolutely turn around and return the favor. Navy, so far, they have wins against Mount St. Mary's, Jacksonville, and Bucknell with losses to Loyola and Lehigh. I do like Loyola in this game. I think Loyola's probably going to win it. Navy will drop to 3-3, three and three, but don't front on Navy. Very quality team, and on any given day in this conference team, you know, this has been another one of the, the good conferences. The CAA has been interesting. The NEC has been interesting. The America East. These conferences, I don't know why they're so interesting. Maybe it's because we don't have the Ivy, 
and the Big Ten's been playing funky ball and not playing anybody else. So maybe that's why all these conference races have been cooler to watch, but I've been a fan. I have been a fan. Now, if we kind of go through the rest of the schedule, which we're going to just do quick, um, let's see. Nah, we're not even going to go through the rest of it because I don't care. If I didn't mention the game, it probably doesn't matter. LIU and Bryant, that got postponed. Oh, wait, no, that's the scoreboard. Hold on. Let us get into the schedule here. Calendar. We're going to finish this show off wrong by with just listening to me breathe into the mic. Lafayette and Lehigh. I didn't mention that one. Lehigh plays at Lafayette on Friday night. That'll be a big one. Michigan at Penn State. That one's Friday night as well. And as we go through, we got Utah at Virginia. Nobody cares. Mount St. Mary's at LIU. That could be a big one. Mercer at High Point. Nobody cares. So that's it. I've rambled long enough, I think, here. So I'm going to get the heck out of here. I'll be back Saturday morning, 10 a.m. for the live stream. And then Sunday's show, recapping all of Saturday's games, is will pop off as normal at 10 or 11. So come back and check both of those out this weekend. And uh, that is it. Be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Go to laxfactor.com if you want to support us beyond that. Otherwise, you will see me back here Saturday morning for the live stream at 10 a.m. Hoost is out. 